Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens. Brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. We would like to introduce to you the great Richard Skipper. Ooh. Wow. Richard I'm going to leave the room and come back. What an introduction that well, is. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. So if we love musical theater, yeah. Richard Skipper is on a whole other level <laughs> right. than any of us. Well, thank you. Musical theater, the entertainment business, show business, mm-hmm. all things that we love and worship. Richard not only worships just as equally as we do, he actually sits down, interviews people, goes out and continues to keep the legacy of so many people and so many shows and so many films alive. When did you first fall in love with the arts, Richard? Well, it's a very interesting question. I grew up in a small town in South Carolina. Uh I grew up on a tobacco farm uh, in a small town called Conway, which is just outside of Myrtle Beach. Conway is considered the gateway to Myrtle Beach. So I was as far (laughs) from musical theater as any one person could possibly be. But I also grew up, I know I'm a little bit older than both of you put together, but I grew up... uh, No, I grew up... Thank you, 20, Richard, thank you. (laughs) I grew up uh, as a product of 1960s and 1970s television. And with that... (laughs) Rob's favorite. Era. Absolutely. And because <laughs> he just got so excited. Yeah, well, I always get true. excited. No, yeah. I mean, hear my voice go up. <laughs> Rob but, too. Uh, I grew up watching variety shows, uh, television specials, and everything, and that was the show business that I aspired to. Right. That that's what I wanted to be a part of. So my vision, my ideas, my dreams of what New York was all about was all about uh, the musicals that I had seen in this fantasy world mm-hmm. that doesn't really exist. Uh, let's uh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, no. what, are some, what were some of your va- favorite variety shows? Well, I, Carol Burnett at the very top. Yes. Right. Uh, I mean, what she did each week was what I really wanted to be a part of, to have that sense of an ensemble, a family, so to speak, and not only to celebrate you know, these great sketches, but to have someone like Bob Mackey design the costumes, right? Oh yes, and you know, and Ernest Flat doing, you know, these incredible dance arrangements, and then uh, great material, and right. uh, and then having all these incredible guests that were the epitome of what musical theater was all about. I grew up Bernadette Peters. My introduction to Bernadette Peters was through Cal Burnett. Mm -hmm. And so many of the great people that we've come to love, uh, we came to love through Cal Burnett. So Cal Burnett would be at the very top Mm -hmm. of that. And then there was the Judy Garland show. I I, I mean, I was very young when the Judy Garland show first aired, but... uh, I was eight years old when she passed away, and a lot of the local television stations started re-airing her television shows. Yes. So I got a chance to see a lot of those great stars. And what I loved about that era, and it's something that I think is really missing in the world today, is there were three networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC. Right. And those three networks vied for the largest demographic that they could get on any given program. So, and these stations, remember, only went 
from five or six o'clock in the morning to one o'clock. Then there was the national anthem and the test pattern for and done. everything was gone. Yeah. And there was no late night yeah. channel surfing or right. any of that. No and Golden so, Girls on at no, two o'clock in the morning. No Golden <laughs> Girls. But what these shows did, which was really wonderful, was that they tried to grab that demographic by bringing artists from my generation my parents' generation, and my grandparents' generation. Right. And then you have what I, you know, like the anthology series, and you have the shows like uh, Love Boat and Fantasy Island and Murder, She Wrote, who brought all these great uh, artists on week after week after mm. week. So I grew up seeing those people, so I knew who the Carol Channings were of the world right. and who George Burns was and who Jack Benny was and who Bob Hope was because I was exposed to them. And... I think, in my opinion, uh, and it is my opinion, I think the greatest disservice to the entertainment industry was the creation of MTV. And the reason that I feel that way is because when MTV came along, um, and the advertisement was not your grandparents' television, not your parents' television, uh, in the early days as it was leading up to launching, it was a network that was geared at only one demographic. And so an entire generation and the generation after that, maybe even the generation after that, grew up not knowing anything other than what they saw on that channel. Mm. And so they have not been exposed to the Carol Channings and the Bernadette Peters and even the right. Carol Burnett's yeah. uh, of the world. And I think that that is a, a real disservice. I had never thought of it like that no, before. That's either. so interesting. And you had to fit into that demographic. Otherwise, you were not seen. Yeah. And, you know, and there's a lot of ageism in Hollywood as well. So a lot of the people that we grew up with, a lot of them are very viable. I mean... It, uh, Marilyn May is 90 years old and is going, still doing, you know, it. <laughs> still doing it and still doing high kicks and everything. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, I, when I look at her, I don't see any sense of age. Um, you know, it's very interesting. I have a producer and Russ Woolley. I'm yeah. going to acknowledge him. And Russ is always like, how old do you think he is? How old do you think she is? And I'm going, I have no gauge because my rule of thumb like it or not, guys, is that we were all born in 1961. So everyone's the same age, no matter what your age is. So I assume that you know who I'm talking about or what I'm talking about. We do. Yes. So speaking of Carol Channing, this is someone who you're very closely associated with. When did you, when did you first come onto your radar? Um, believe it or not, through Lucille Ball. Oh. Uh, uh, there is an episode of uh, The Lucy Show in which, and I'm sure you know the episode, uh, in which uh, Lucille Ball impersonates Carol Channing. And that was the first time that I saw her. And going back to... Lucille Ball impersonates Carol yes, Channing. Yes, and it's on YouTube, so look it up. But the funny thing about this is that, and this will tell you a little bit about the kind of kid that I was mm. in South Carolina. I used to do lunchtime concerts on the front steps of our high school. <laughs> the steps of our high school was like a stage, and I would go out during... And all the kids in school would come and sit on blankets and watch me do these shows. It's amazing. And I would do impressions of the artists that I saw the night before. So I would come out and I would do my impression of... Lucille Ball impersonating oh, Carol Channing. Oh my God. Or I would do all the characters from the Carol Burnett show. Or I would do anything that I saw. I would tell jokes that I saw on the Johnny Carson show the night before because I would sneak up and watch these things. I would do <laughs> scenes from movies that I saw. And to this day, I have this reputation in my hometown of doing these concerts. So <laughs> I come to New York and, you know, and then... 
you know, and I, but after shortly after that, I saw her television special with uh, with Pro Bailey, and then I at, love that special. We featured that that whole I as a one of our favorite things uh, two years ago, I think. But it was one of the first. I I own love. three costumes from that show. What? Which ones? Uh, I own. You these. guys, listeners, you know which one we're talking about, right? It's from 1968. I want to say uh, yes. Uh, the Pearl Bailey Carol Channing st- special, where it's like apples and oranges. I right, mean, I'm and they did it on stage. They had very little rehearsal, oh, and it shows. Except, well, yeah, but Carol is like over rehearsed for what little rehearsal yes. they had, and Pearl clearly was like, "Okay, honey, like I'll do whatever. Like, I'm just going to show right. up and whatever okay, happens." I'm sorry, but which costumes do you? have? I own the Cecilia Sisson costume, oh, okay. and uh, Carol signed the inside of the hat. Oh so I God. have that. Oh my God. I have one of the red dresses that Carol yes. wore. And I have uh, one of the white coats that she uh, wore uh, when they do yeah. diamonds at the mm-hmm. end. I mean, um, Little Girl from the Rock mm-hmm. at the end. Kevin needs smelling salts <laughs> now at this point. He has to, you, you, Listeners, go back and listen to that. The, my favorite things from a oh year and a half God. ago. Dear but, God. you know, and it's funny. Right, so you saw that episode. You saw it, lo- you saw it when it, when it I aired. I saw it when it first aired. Right. And, uh, and then uh, her frequent appearances on uh, the Love Boat <laughs> and then her frequent mm. appearances on, uh, well, she did the Muppet Show and she right. did all these things. And... I used to get the TV guide, and I used to go through the TV guide, and I used to see what the specials were. And if she was on, you could rest assured that I was going oh, to yeah. be watching that. So move ahead many, many years. Um, I moved to New York. I came to New York when I was uh, 18 years old. Oh, my gosh. And I flew to New York on August 5th, 1979, $500 in my pocket. I had never flown anywhere before. I had never slept in another bed except in my grandparents' house. I didn't know anyone. I had never flown before. I mean, this was a whole new, just jump out there and do it. And so I came to New York, and I guess I had been in New York probably a year and a half or two years, and Lynn Fontaine passed away. Mm -hmm. And I saw in the paper that Carol Channing was going to be speaking at her memorial service. So I went to the memorial service, and Carol Channing was with Helen Hayes and Douglas Fairbanks, Jr., and I hear Carol say to Douglas and, uh, I mean, Mr. Fairbanks, uh, and Helen Hayes, uh, I have a table over at Sardi's. Why don't you come and join me? And so I ran to Sardi's, and I told them that I was a friend of Carol's. <laughs> and then I was going, and uh, I said, don't seat me at her table, because she's got a full table, but I want to sit at the table next to her. So they sat me next to Carol no. at her table. And I sat there, and I watched Carol's every move. And I'm sitting there going, I can't can't believe I'm actually seeing Carol Channing. I mean, you have to imagine. Oh, yeah. I'm this farm boy from South Carolina, and here I am at Sardi's like, sitting next to Carol Channing. In the big bad city, you in, know. Yes, yes, in the yes, big yes. bad city. And, and you're there. You... And move ahead years later, I'm having lunch with Carol at the boat slip in Central Park, and I shared the story with her. And she said, I knew you looked familiar. (laughs) And when Carol got, I mean, we became friends, and when Carol got uh, her star on the Palm Springs Walk of Fame, I stayed at her home in Palm Springs. I mean, it was just that kind of, I mean, when... Because I idolized her so much. Um, you know, years ago I was doing a show and someone said that it was a, st- a study in hagiography, which was a new word for me. Do you know what it means? No. It's the study of sainthood. Mm-hmm. And I guess that she is St. Carol to me. And um, I just feel that she has, because she was such a bigger-than-life character, right. that a lot of people 
did not take her as seriously. People who don't know her and don't know the body of work that she did do, that they she's never been taken as seriously as I feel that she should be taken as a Broadway actress. Uh, I mean, she, of course, had Lorelei and Hello, Dolly, right. but uh, she had a wonderful career beyond that. And, uh, you know, and the fact that we became good friends is still mind-blowing to me. Yeah. yeah. What would you say her greatest work is besides Dolly Levi? Um, her greatest work is uh, being Carol Channing. Mm. Um, she, she's created this persona. Right. I mean, when you see an image of Carol Channing, or I mean, it's easily recognizable. And it's very interesting. I'm going to share a story, and I hope he listens to this interview. Josh Ellis is a dear friend of mine, and you should have him on your show, by the way. Yes. And he was a great Broadway publicist. Mm-hmm. And he was the publicist for Lorelei. And he told me that Carol had what they called Channing art. And any time that Carol would meet a celebrity or anyone from the sports world or uh, musical comedy or royalty, she would have her picture taken with them. And if you see these pictures, it would be always with her hand underneath their chin as if she was presenting them to the photographer. Yes. So... When someone like Yule Brenner would pass away, Charles Lowe, who was her husband at the time, and a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant manager, right. would contact the Associated Press and say, I have a picture of Yule Brenner. Would you like me to send this to you? And of course, Carol Channing would be in the picture. And so she would get her name in the paper again. Amazing. And the interesting thing about when I went into her home in Rancho Mirage, the walls that it was like walking into a museum of the 20th century yeah. because yeah. every famous person in the world had their picture taken with Carol Janning. So I think that, you know, the, and the fact that she was able to sustain that persona not only over a 47-year working history um, and beyond that as well, um, and even though she's no longer performing, um, that persona is still etched in anyone's minds and eyes in the musical theater. She, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, she really is the last of that that great old, you know, showbiz style, you know, where people used to get dressed up to go to rehearsal and people had an image. And now with mm-hmm. social media and everything, we can, it's like almost like you see every aspect of every right. person's yes. life. But Carol really preserved that image. Well, I always felt that I would like to write a book called uh, Life As I've Learned It From Carol. <laughs> because there's so many things that she's instilled in me in terms of being an artist. Um, she, the idea of missing a performance um, was just something that would not even cross her mind because she always felt that people paid uh, a lot of money, uh, no matter what the tickets were in those days. Mm-hmm. Uh, they probably have invested in a babysitter. They probably have saved uh, for uh, weeks, months uh, uh, yeah. to it's see the show. Yeah. It's an event. It's an event. And she felt that she owed it to them to be there to give them that performance. Um, the question I was going to ask you was, how did you go from sneaking into Sardi's to sit next to her to then being a guest in her home? Well, you know, and I, I, I really want to put this behind me because I want to move on with my own career. But for 20 years, I performed as Carol Channing. Right. And the thing that I did... Performing as Carol, I always respected her. Um, I never presented her as a joke. Um, It was always done with the utmost respect. And interestingly enough, and this is, the you know, there are two major milestones in the relationship of 
me and Carol Janning. Um, the first was that uh, before I even did my first show as Carol, I found out I was in the process of putting something together. Um, when she came back to Broadway the last time to do Hello, Dolly, right. a friend of mine called me up and said, if you don't do a show about Carol, you're making the biggest mistake of your life. Um, and Because I would get up, not dressed as Carol, but I would get up and mimic her voice and do impressions Short. and things at parties mm-hmm. and Halloween and that kind of thing. Right. And uh, so I was already getting that... Repu- uh, you know, reputation for doing right. this. So when I was putting my show together, I found out that the New York City Gay Men's Chorus was going to be honoring Jerry Herman and that Carol was going to be appearing there that night. And I wanted to be a part of this show. So I started in the days before the internet was really taking over and everything. I began a letter writing campaign. Um, I l- sent letters. I sent press... Uh, well not really press kits because I had not really done anything, but trying to explain to them what I was doing and right. everything. And not only did I send these letters and these phone calls and everything, but everything landed on deaf ears. And so there was no way it was going to happen. So the concert is happening on a Sunday night, and a friend of mine calls me up and says, are you going to the concert? And I says, no, I'm not going to go. Um, it would be too depressing for me. And he says, well, I'm playing the after party. Why don't you crash the party as Carol? And uh, I said, well, what if she doesn't like me? And he said, then you'll know that she doesn't like you. So I arrived at the party. The party was already in full swing. And when I walked in, it was like the paparazzi went, oh, my God. And they brought me over to where Carol was sitting. And they looked up. And she said, "Uh, where did you learn to do this? And I said, Bennington College in Vermont. You do know where that is, Carol? It's the lower left-hand corner part of the map, the part of the map that's always purple, which, of course, is from her act. Oh, my gosh. And she said, oh, my God, how long have you been impersonating me? And I said, <laughs> "Oh God, who's to say that you're not impersonating me? <laughs> <laughs> and she laughed, and she said, come and sit down with me. Oh. And she's asking me all these questions but I never broke character. And I answered everything. I had done my research. I answered everything as if I was Carol Channing. So I'm doing this thing, and she's sitting there, and she's going... And you've got to realize, all these members of the chorus were there, all these people were in this room, Mm -hmm. and there I am holding court with Carol, and the place is going crazy. And then I said, before you leave Carol... I would like to do a song for you. And she said, you would like to do a song for me? And I said, well, actually, I would like to do my whole show, but I don't think you have the time. And she said, we'll make the time. You tell me when and where. I said, upstairs in 10 minutes. And she stands up, and she announces to the room, I've never said these words before, but in 10 minutes, we're going upstairs to see Carol Channing. So... As I'm walking out of the room, Jerry Herman grabs me. I mean, it's all there are photographs this everywhere. It is insane. It's true. And uh, Jerry Herman grabs me, and he said, um, I, he said, this is uncanny. He said, I've seen a lot of impersonators over the years. He says, if Carol liked you, it would have been, well, that's very nice. Now, what did you say your name was, dear? And she would be on to the next person. He said, the fact that she's spending so much time with you, he says, you've crossed a line that no one else has done before. So I went upstairs. I did my show. There's a great photograph that I have, um, which I'll share with you, um, of me performing, and you can see... um, you know, Carol's response in the mirror uh, behind me. 
And I did my entire show for her that I was about to open it, Don't Tell Mama. Oh, my God. And I finished, the, uh, I finished the, uh, doing my act, and uh, she got up and she gave me a diamond, which I still have, and she said that this was the first time that she had been shown with love, respect, and polish. And I, and said, polish. Um, mm. I said, I'm about to open this show, and I don't want to do it without your permission. And she says, take the gauntlet and run with it. So I opened at uh, Don't Tell Mama. And one night, unbelievable, one of the producers for a new show that was about to open at the Taj Mahal, Trump's Taj Mahal in Atlantic City. And I... And it was the beginning of my Atlantic City, Las Vegas career yeah. because it took me to Atlantic City. And uh, and then I came back. I got a call from Mark Rosen, who is Arlene Dahl's husband, and Cindy Adams was doing the launch of a new perfume called Gossip. And <laughs> he said, yes, it, it lasted on the market. About No, re, no offense, Cindy, but it didn't last that long. <laughs> and uh, so, but they wanted me to be at this uh, party that Carol was going to be at. And I was standing there when Carol got off the elevator. It was one of those salons where the doors open and you're in the salon. Mm. So Carol stepped out of the salon and she sees me and she says, I have a bone to pick with you. And of course, my heart went up in my throat. I think this is the end of my career. What She said, all my friends think I'm performing in a small club on West 46th Street. What do I tell them? <laughs> I said, tell them you're performing in a small club on West 46th Street. And she says, you know I have. <laughs> and then over the course of the next few years, Carol and I, our paths you know, crossed here and there. And then her marriage to Charles Lowe ended, not on the best of terms, mm. obviously, if you know her history. And, uh, and then shortly after that, I, it was like three, uh, it was her first big appearance, she did a Jerry Herman tribute, and then they asked me if I would come out to San Francisco and appear with her with the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. So we ah, have, we now have, they're asking for you. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> I came out, I did the show, and, uh, and then she meets Harry Collegian. And she did her first big appearance in New York after all this time had happened at the old Village Gate mm -hmm. um, with a show called Singular Sensations with Glenn Roven, another person you should have on your show. And Glenn, um, I went to this, and afterwards I was out front, and I see Harry Collegian. And I go over to introduce myself. And I said, hello, I'm Richard Skipper. And he said, oh, my God, you're the famous Richard Skipper. Oh. He said, I've always said to Carol, if I had met you first, things would have been different. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And oh, that's they funny. gave me their card. And he said, call us anytime, anytime. So I walked around with this card in my wallet. This was in October, I think around October 4th. Okay. And I walked around with this card in my wallet for months and months and months. And then I finally decided that I would call them on Christmas Day. And I called them on Christmas Day. And uh, Carol got on the phone. She said, it's a good thing I wasn't sitting by the phone waiting for your phone call. <laughs> and, uh, and over the course of the next 10 years, um, Carol and Harry and I became came closer and closer. Yeah. Uh, she had a foundation for the arts, which is now defunct since he passed away. And um, I, uh, every show that I did from that point on benefited the foundation. Mm -hmm. I always gave a percentage to them. Um, 
Carol came to my shows. Um, she was very, very supportive. Uh, the one thing that she always said to me was that she felt that I was a great musical comedy star, her words, <laughs> and that she felt that people were not getting to know Richard Skipper and Aww. that she would hope that I would step out of that persona and do this. And then after Harry died, I felt like it was time to move on. Sure. Um, it didn't have the same... Uh, impact for me. So Dory Berenstein, who did the great documentary Carol Channing, Larger Than Life. Fantastic. Um, they interviewed me for the film. Oh. And then they were still filming this, and Carol's getting her star on the Palm Springs Walk of Fame. And I called Harry, and I said, Harry, I think I'm going to come out to Palm Springs. Can you recommend a hotel? And he said, yes, I can. It's the Collegian Channing Ranch. Come stay with us. And I stayed with them wow. while I was out there. Wow. And Crazy. I mean, to get, I mean, having these moments where, you know, I remember sitting uh, in her dining room and her walking in with no makeup on and everything. And Harry saying, honey, you have no makeup on. And she's, Richard loves me the way I am. It doesn't really matter to him. And she was right, of yeah. course. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that that happened and, uh, and that I had this relationship with her is something that I never would have thought in a million years that would have happened. Having seen her perform so many times, what, if nobody had known who Carol Channing was, how would you describe them to so describe her to someone who maybe has never met her, never seen her? She had the sixth in instinct of really picking up on the energy of an audience. And, uh, you know, there were things that she did that were so meticulous in what she did that Marge Champion even referred to her as an automaton. Hmm. It was like that, if, if you saw the performance one night and you came the next night, you would get the same performance that he got the mm -hmm. night before. And because she had a, a sense, and over the years, I mean, doing the work that I've done and, you know, and keeping her name out there and everything, so many people have come up to me and they've said, we saw her in Hello, Dolly. And when she did... Uh, the Ephraim speech, she played it directly to me. Uh -huh. No matter where they were sitting in the right. theater, everybody felt that she was looking right at them. Mm. The truth of the matter is she couldn't see. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> she was blind as a bat. Yeah. And uh, she, but that audience always had the feeling that she was playing specifically to them. Mm -hmm. So, in answer to your question, I don't know if I'm answering it the no, way you that you're, but she, um, she loved, she ate, slept, breathed, the theater. Mm. It was her life. It was her soul. It was what kept her going. And, uh, and you know, with the, our upcoming show, that's what I want to celebrate with the artists that I've asked to do the show. Uh, because they also um, celebrate that in the work that they do. And what is this show that is yes. upcoming? Well, on January 31st, um, well, I have a series called Richard Skipper Celebrates. Right, yes. And we've been doing the show for a year and a half now, uh, produced by Russ Woolley. Mm -hmm. And each of our shows is a celebration. It's a celebration of that day throughout history. We've done celebrations of the 53rd anniversary of Hello, Dolly! opening on Broadway. Mm -hmm. We've done a celebration of Liza Minnelli's life and career on her birthday. Uh, we've also done uh, the music of World War II. Mm -hmm. We did a, a tribute to E.Y. Harburg, mm -hmm. in which his family was there. Nice. And so each of these shows is a celebration. We have balloons. We, it's a party atmosphere. For the moment that people come into the room, I've got an amazing uh, team of people. This season, we're doing something a different, a little bit different. Um, and then I'm going to get to your uh, question in just a moment. But um, each of the shows has 
different group of people, and we do. They each do two songs, and then we sit down and we do a mini interview. You're so the host of the I'm evening, the host of the, the evening, presenter, and everything. And so, in addition to doing different performers or entertainers for each show, we're using different musicians for each show as well. Oh. So it makes it very interesting. Um, it gives me a, a chance as the host to introduce these great artists mm. uh, on both sides to the audiences that are coming to see the show. So the show that we're doing on the 31st happens to fall on Carol Channing's birthday, and we're celebrating her life and career through the songs that she sang. And you know, and I'm hoping with each of the guests that we have in the show, Christine Petty mm. is in the show, oh, yeah. Diane Finley, Wendy Sherrill, and Karen Saunders. So we have two... You know, Christine Petty with Sirius XM Radio and also with uh, her work in the theater. Right. Um, and Diane Finley are both theater actresses. And then Karen Saunders and Wendy Sherrill are from the world of cabaret. Ah, uh, yes. And so we're bringing them together. And then we're going to talk about the influences that she had on their lives. Oh, yeah. Mm, that's going to be really, really lovely. Yeah. Well, um, we're excited about it. Yeah. What made you want to start Richard Skipper Presents? Richard Skipper celebrates. Or celebrates, celebrates I should say. No. Um, it, I, I got to thinking about the world that we live in right now and the fact that um, with reality television, when you look at reality television for a moment, um, every show is about one-upmanship. It's about making someone feel that they are less than. Uh, someone's going to get kicked off the island. Someone's cupcake is not going to be as <laughs> good as the other person's cupcake. Uh, some housewife is going to be kicked out of the neighborhood because she doesn't live up to the standards, whatever they may be, of anyone else. So I think that what we have done, and I really, if I can get a little political for a moment. You may. You may. Um, I feel that the reason that we have the president that we have now is that uh, bullying has been glorified in our culture. And I feel that uh, he tapped into that audience out there. Mm -hmm. um, I follow him on Twitter, and I respond to every tweet. And I sent him a tweet the other day, and I said to him, um, you need to understand how and why you won. You won because you're a celebrity. You didn't win based on ability. You didn't win based on achievement. You didn't win on any platform that you're going to bring to this country. You won because you are a celebrity. And if you look at the week that we've just had with Oprah Winfrey giving yes. this amazing speech, that you would think it's the second coming of Christ, that everybody is now you know, cheering the fact that this woman, who I love and admire on so many levels, um, could possibly be the next president of the United States. And it's not about... Um, agendas anymore. It's mm -hmm. not about having a platform unless that platform is, in, in his case, to tear someone down. Oh. So, and I also feel that with gossip magazines and shows like TMZ and all these things, I want to celebra uh, celebrate these artists. Um, I want to show to the world how they touched my life and why they should be celebrated. And going back to where we began, Growing up in South Carolina, I had a great mentor, and her name was Florence Epps. Mm. And she instilled in me, she said, every time you walk on stage, you are carrying the mantle of every great person that has ever gone before you. And when you step on that stage, you owe it to them to be the best that you can possibly be. And I think of this in terms of the people that I align myself with. 
um, the work that I do, um, how I spend my days. Um, it's all about putting a positive spin on the world. And that's how my show came about. Mm. Fantastic. That's really beautiful. So glad, yeah. uh, who are some of the people that you've had the opportunity to sit down and interview? Oh, my God. Well, I've interviewed over 700 people for my Dolly book. So yeah. that's, this would be a great time to bring that up. That's so, a big number. So I, I went to the website callondolly.com. Again, that's callondolly.com. Can you uh, sing it? Uh, call on, on Dolly. Dolly. She's the one the spinsters recommend. Just name the kind of man your sister wants and she'll snatch him up. No, sorry. Oh, God, it's so catchy, though. I just want to know it's dance. catchy. Jerry Herman, thank oh, you. Oh, God, he's good. Well, the website is oh. incredible. There's so much information. There's thank so you. much. You've done thank exhaustive you. research. This is basically every single thing you ever wanted to know, if I may, about Hello uh, Dolly. But it's not a linear history. Okay. What I have done is I, with each interview that I've done, and it's very interesting. Interesting story. I don't know how much time we have here. Oh, you're fine. Uh, but uh, I had made up my mind that it was time to move on. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's Carol calling now. Do you want to stop or should I just let it ring? You can let it ring. Or we I'm can gonna... take. You want to take a moment? Yeah, no, we're good. We got time. We're gonna let it ring. Okay, sure. So sure, sure. anyway, I am uh, I'm in Palm Springs, and I posted on Facebook that you know I'm thinking of writing a book about Hello Dolly. Yeah. Is this really disturbing nope. you? Um, nope. So uh, <laughs> that I was thinking of doing this book on Dolly. And uh, someone, I don't even know who it was, wrote to me and said, um, where are you? And I said, I'm in Palm Springs. And they said, you should interview Roberta Olden. Mm. And I went, who is Roberta Olden? And they said, she was Ginger Rogers' personal assistant. Oh. And Ginger Rogers, of course, replaced Carol Channing in Hello, Dolly. Yeah. So they gave me her number. I called her up, and she agreed to meet me at a country club that oh. she worked at. So we met at this country club. I was surprised to find out that we were the same age because I was expecting a much older woman. Sure. She came in and worked with Ginger um, the last few years, like the last 10 years of Ginger's life. But Ginger Rogers kept everything. Her dolly gown was still hanging in the closet. Oh my God. Um, her mother, uh, Lila, uh, kept a journal. So she had a first-hand account of what opening night was like for uh, for her production of Dolly and her closing night. So, and I was able to look at her letters that she sent to David Merrick and Gower Champion mm. and the whole process of getting her there. And so she opened up to me. And then after I would finish these interviews, I would say, well, who do you recommend that I should interview? And one interview led to the next. And so I've done over 700 interviews in the book. Um, the, my vision of the book, so if there are any book publishers listening, my vision for this book is that it will be a coffee table book. It will celebrate these great iconic women who have played Dolly and a few good men, yeah. Leroy Reams. Yeah, um, we love Leroy. I love Leroy. Um, <clears throat> we will celebrate these women through photographs and Ken Bloom is working with me on that. Um, but I want to be able to share the experiences of the artist, both on stage and behind the scenes. Um, how did they audition? How did they get the audition? What was the process like for them? Have they ever seen other productions of Dolly? Mm-hmm. Um, what is it about this show that resonates with them? And I've been very, very fortunate. I've interviewed Morgan Freeman, and I've interviewed, um, you know, uh, I'm hoping to get the Barbara Streisand interview. 
Barbara, if you're listening, please. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's just been amazing. Carol Channing wrote the foreword to the book. Mm. And, uh, you know, and I'm just, it, it, right now, it's just getting a publisher. Sure. And the book has been called from the, for the last year, um, Call on Dolly, from Carol to Bet. But now it's going to be called from Carol to... Bernadette. Bernadette. Yeah. Wow. And beyond. And beyond. I mean, that's, uh, and beyond. Jerry Herman said that on any given night, somewhere in the world, a woman, or now I say, or a man, <clears throat> is coming down those famed stairs of the Harmonia Gardens in an overextended uh, red headdress being sung by a gaggle of waiters. Mm-hmm. And audiences are standing on their feet. Yep. And, you know, I was at Donna Murphy's closing night, Sunday night, and uh, standing ovations uh, throughout the show. Um, it's a show that resonates with audiences. And the reason it's very interesting that this show has not come back to Broadway in all these years, it, it, you have to think about this. It's only been revived by Carol Channing and Pearl Bailey, who were, of course, from the original run of Dolly. It's never been done because Gower uh, Champion had a vision of what he wanted this show to be. And many people have wanted to do a revisal to change it around a little bit, to make a couple of changes here and everything. What I love about the current production of Hello, Dolly! is they've brought elements of the matchmaker back Mm. into the production. Mm. If you know both the matchmaker and Hello, Dolly!, you know where those are. But it's seamless in terms of what they've done. They have respected and honored the original concept of all of the original players with Dolly. And that's why this show is working (coughs) so well. Um, Leroy Reams once Mm. said to me in my interview with him, it's like a red velvet cake. We all know what a red velvet cake looks like, and we know what a red velvet (laughs) cake tastes like. But let's say that you say, I'm going to make a red velvet cake, but instead of this ingredient and this ingredient and this ingredient, I'm going to replace it with this, this, and this it damn well better taste better than the original, otherwise why bother? Right. Mm. No one wants it. That's yeah. And that's, what, and that's why this production is working mm-hmm. so much. And I'm hoping, like the original ran for seven years, that there are a lot of great actresses out there, and I hope that they all have a chance to stretch down the street. That's a really good point, yeah. Right. That it's not just one or two big star names, but we well, get a whole bunch of people coming in to play Audrey McDonald. I'd yeah. love to see Queen Latifah oh, do it. Uh, Reba McIntyre is that a name be that's fun. been yeah. bandied around. Dolly Parton is a name that's been bandied around. And it's such a juicy part and that they will do part. it. They will. To- it's a juicy yeah. part. Which actress from our golden age uh, that could have played Dolly in the original Broadway one that never got a chance to, would you love to have seen do it? That's an interesting question. Um, I, there, Cal Burnett, I think, would have mm. made a great Dolly. Oh, uh, yeah. She's got the singing chops. Yeah. And she's got the c- comedic timing. Can you imagine? You, have you ever seen a production of Dolly? Oh, yeah. Uh, so you know. Oh. Imagine Cal Burnett and what she could have done with that eating scene. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, just think about that. Um, Dolly Parton, I would love to have seen do Dolly. Yeah, and there was talk um, of her doing a country western version for television that never came to fruition. Oh and there God, is a clip so good. There is a it. clip of her doing uh, Hello Dolly on YouTube that oh. you can look up. Um, so um, uh, 
uh, Mae West was actually approached to do Dolly. Oh, wow. But Mae West wanted to change the dialogue. She wanted to put a couple of innuendos in there and make it her own. Mm. Uh, so um, the, the right actress coming along, just about anybody can do it if, they, if it's done right. I'm actually surprised that the whole Carol Burnett team just didn't do a production of it at some point. Well, ben Harvey Ray Corman w- as yes. Van Gelder. Van Gelder. <laughs> right? Ken Berry and, and Tim right? Conway. Come Vicki on. Lawrence could that's have been. Right. Come on. This is. Irene Malloy. Let's get a time machine, guy. <laughs> let's go back. Had, that's and that's fix amazing. This. I've never really thought about that, but that team was there. Wouldn't that have been wonderful? Uh, yeah. All right. Get my time machine. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and we're putting Penny in My Pocket back in the original. And love look in my window. And love look in my window. World take me back. Mm. You know, I love that. Have you ever wanted to play it? I did a one night only concert version of it with the Revision Theater in Asbury Park, and it was an amazing experience. And uh, but like I've said, you know, those days of doing that are behind me. Oh, yes, you did. Did you see it? A very good friend of mine was one of the artistic directors at the theater at the time, and he talks about how great that production. Who was that? David Lightholt. Oh my God, I love David. Yes, my love. Tell him he never calls, he never writes. He listens to this, so David. <laughs> David, if you're listening, call me. He always talks about how brilliant it was. Wow. Yeah. That means a lot. Well, this is sorry, very, sorry. Oh, no, I love when that happens. No, it's a very interesting story. Thomas Morrissey, who was the director, wanted to do mm. a one night only concert version, and we got permission from Jerry Herman to do the concert for one night, and they, you know, it was going to be, you know, with scripts in hand mm. and the whole thing. Um, I came in for my first rehearsal with John Fisher, who was the musical director, and he said, "We're going to plot our way through the songs." And I came in to sing the opening song. Uh, I put my hand in. And he said, you're singing in the original key. And I said, well, yes. And he said, if you do all the songs like this, I'm going to kiss you on the lips. <laughs> I did, and he did. <laughs> and, uh, and he called David and, uh, and, uh, and uh, Tom and said, you have nothing to worry about. This is going to be incredible. So then I showed up at the first rehearsal completely off book. And because I was off book, the rest of the cast got off book. So the audience, expecting to see just a concert version of the show, got, for one night only, a fully staged production. How cool is that? That's amazing. How cool is that? And it it was just one of those crazy moments in the theater. That's amazing. (laughs) Well, you see... He's brilliant. But exactly. you don't want to do it anymore. You don't want I to don't do want to do it, it okay. anymore. Those days so are behind me. When, when you have your concert like on the on the 31st, for, instant, for instance, uh, will you, you'll be interviewing and hosting. You won't be singing anything. I will be singing. Oh, good. Right. I am going to, you know, I'm going to do a couple of songs. I am sitting on a big name. I cannot announce who that is. Uh, but as soon as she says yes, and right. I know what songs she wants to sing... Uh, not only will it make me a lot happier, but it will make the other actresses happy because <laughs> they all want to do before the parade passes by. Of course. And I go, well, I'm waiting yeah. to find out if this particular person will do of it or course. not. And, uh, and then it'll be a lot easier for me to decide what I am going to do. Great. I, I do think that I'm going to close the show with It Only Takes a Moment. Good. Oh, love you know, so, um, so the And Leroy, people. by the way, sang... When I, you know, when I got married, he sang at our wedding. Oh. And he sang It Only Takes a Moment. Oh. So I have always got that connection. Makes my heart I like that. feel warm. What were we gonna say? I'm so I was sorry. gonna ask the details one more time for the for the. It, it's January 31st at the Lori Beachman Theater. At the Lori Beachman. Where can we go for tickets? Uh, go to richardskipper.com. Richard and click Skipper. S K I P P E R. Click on the yellow starburst, and that will take you right there. Great. And Scott Rudin, if you are listening to this program, 
open the doors and let me come in and interview these, this cast because I've interviewed every cast in the world except for this one. Oh yeah, and I want to get I, I want their stories preserved yeah. for full time. And if you've gone, if you've really taken the time to read my uh, site, it's not a gossipy site. Um, it's there are no salacious details. Right. I have been told everything, mm. and it will go to my grave. Right. Um, my goal is to celebrate this musical and how it has affected the lives of so many people. Uh, George C. Wolfe said that when he was 12 years old, his parents brought him up from the South and they went to see Pearl Bailey in Hello, Dolly. And he said seeing that made him realize that this is a world that he could be a part of. It's a remarkable, remarkable story and it's going to be told for many, many years after we all leave this earth. But on behalf of us, thank you so much for collecting all of these fabulous well, thank stories you. and, and interviews. The and thing is alive. that, uh, it, and it's believe it or not, it's been a struggle to trying to get a yeah. publisher involved because they have no imagination. Right. And there are productions of Hello Dolly going on on any given stage, anywhere in the world, on any given night. Not only do we have it on Broadway right now, but there are regional productions going on. Uh, There's a major production going on in Scotland right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they have been in touch with me. Um, I just wrote an article for a museum that's doing a, a, a retrospective of Dolly and the various actresses who have played the role. Um, so there is an audience beyond, you know, what we have right yeah, now. Right. And these stories need to be preserved. Yes. Absolutely. We agree. And 100%. until the book gets out there, there's my website. Well, we're going to keep pushing it Thank then, you. For sure. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. And so January 31st, 31st on Carol Channing's actual birthday, she will be 97 years young. Wow. And it's so funny. Carol once said to me, you know, uh, I was... Carol's birthday is January 31st and I'm February 11th. So we're very close. Mm. We're Aquarians. Mm -hmm. Um, Carol Channing, when she was in high school, used to do uh, shows where she did impressions of the other students in school. So it's like this parallel story of here. And we've, we've talked about this. And the funny thing is that Carol once said to me, uh, you know, Richard, I'm a Christian scientist and we do not celebrate birthdays. And I said, Carol, this isn't about you. This is about us. Uh-huh. And you know, and think about this. When we celebrate someone's birthday, it's us showing them how much we love them. Right. Mm. And that's what it's about. Yeah. Right. That's gorgeous. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and love and passion. Well, thank you. And I know I will be there on the 31st. Hopefully all of our listeners will, will come too. out and join us as well. Tickets are going very fast. Yes. Good. So yes. Get on there no, then, please. folks. We got to move. Hustle, hustle, hustle. Yes. Until next time. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 